This is the Podcast Inc. production. Booyah! This is the moment podcasting fans listening around the world have been waiting for. Coming to you not so live from a listening device of your choice. It's time! Podcasting out of this corner, a mixed martial talker, holding no professional record. He stands at six feet one and one half inches tall, weighing in at whatever he feels like, hailing out of Toronto, Ontario, Canada, presenting the sometimes angry, always funny, Self-proclaimed podcasting champion of the world, Steve Fingerstyles! So, welcome to another rendition of the podcast. I am here once again, always again, and brought to you by First World Collectibles, if you're into nerd culture, if you're into science sports memorabilia, if you're into wrestling memorabilia, please visit firstrow.ca. Use promo code THEPODCAST20 to receive 20% off. They got everything from comic books to science sports memorabilia from any of the major leagues, even pro wrestling, you name it. Whatever federation, whatever promotion, old school, new school, they have got it. Best thing is, they ship worldwide even better. They update daily, so please visit them at firstrow.ca. If you're into video games and books, please visit bossfightbooks.com for great books on classic video games. You'll find titles like NBA Jam, Resident Evil, The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask, and so many others. Everything you see on their website is available in paperback and ebook format, so please check them out at bossfightbooks.com. If you're looking for the best supplements and CBD products, visit LegacySubs.com. Use promo code THEPODCAST to receive 10% off. They got everything from sleep aid to muscle building anything that makes you feel great anything that makes you look great they got it they are legacy sports nutrition over at legacysubs.com and if you want to support me directly you can visit my merchandise store at tpublic.com or scroll down on today's device you're listening to one it's right there in the description click on that link takes you right to the merchandise store i got everything from hoodies to t-shirts travel mugs phone cases anything you need or want it is there but the most important thing the freest thing the best thing to support the show is Rate, subscribe, review on all major platforms, most specifically Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. So this week, I'm joined by a returning guest who has wrestled all over the world for such promotions as WWE, TNA, and NWA. He is a former WWE United States champ, money in the bank winner, and two-time TNA world champion, Mr. Ken Anderson. Hey, how you doing, man? I'm good, my friend. You are back. You know what? It's funny. I, I looked online to see when this last time we did this. You know, it's like almost exactly, it's to the week, but almost to the day, three years that you were on the show. Was it really? Right? Wow. <laughs> what are yeah, the odds? That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's been a minute. Oh, so many things have happened. A pandemic's happened. I can't happened. even remember what I had for breakfast, right? let alone what we talked about. 
You know what? And I remember this and only this from the, our last talk because we have this in common. Our, our short-term memory is horrible. And we mentioned it the whole episode the last time, I believe. Yeah. So, I, you know what? It, I'm sure something's probably going to come up that I asked you before. But it's good because I won't remember and you won't remember. So, it'll be new for us. <laughs> well, I, I usually like freeze midstream too, uh, at least a few times in an interview. I'll be teaching something to my students mm. at the academy and I'll just like, what was it? Where was I going with this? Like, and uh, I don't know. Sometimes I get back on track, and sometimes I don't. But hey, what can you do? If only see, I I could get away with it because there's sometimes where I might stutter on the show, or I'm, I might forget. Like like you said, train of thought. I'm just talking, and all of a sudden, it just drops out of my head. But I can edit that in real life. We need an edit button so when we do do those things, like you know what I mean. <laughs> I wish you could pause. That'd be, that'd be wonderful. Although yeah. the thing about doing that, like uh, okay. I tell you what, when we were uh, when I was working for WWE, right? You know, Raw was live and SmackDown was taped. Ah, that's and right. Once you sort of get into the mindset that, like, hey, we can redo this, you start screwing up more. Really? Well, yeah. Whereas, like Vince would always say, "Raw, we're live, man. You can't screw up." Okay. If you screwed up, it's just how do you fix it? Um, and keep rolling. So. Yeah, I think there is something to be said where, like, if if you know, hey, we can edit this, it's like you're a little more likely to, to screw up. At least I am. I don't know about you. Well, you know what? To think about it, the like, I've done impromptu interviews. I, I hate to word to use the word interview because I'm not a journalist. But when I have my talks, let's say that, when I talk to guests... Sometimes it's impromptu, like I'll carry my mic, like like how wrestlers always say, always be prepared, carry your gear. I'm the same way when it comes to podcast. I take my mic everywhere because you never know who you're going to see. And I live in a big sure. city, right? You never know. But there has been a few times where even where our wrestling shows, where I'll go, I'll bring my mic. I'm not there to interview any or, again, talk to anyone, but you never know. And I find those conversations have been my best. And I have no notes. I have no nothing. Like, believe it or not, I do have some sort of pinpoints that I want to get across. But other than that, it's it's like, even my sponsor reads, if I'm on the road, I don't bring like a notepad. And for some odd reason, I remember everything. But if I'm sitting here at home in my chair, I have to read off my notes. It's like, it's so true. There's something about not having a net that makes your brain, I don't know, work more or harder. I don't know what it is. Yeah. Yep. It's like, like, like I said, Vince always said, like, you can't screw up. If you screwed up, I meant to do that. (laughs) <laughs> well, how about this? No, I was speaking of screwing up in WWE. Was there any time on live TV that you did screw up to the point where people noticed? Yeah, well, there was one time that I can remember. Uh, one, a video I just came across yesterday. Every okay. once in a while, somebody reshares this, sure. where it's the microphone's coming down, and okay. I like it comes down a little too fast or a little too hot, right? And I like go to grab it, and it misses my hand and <laughs> swings around. And <laughs> then I finally grab it, and I'm like. Uh, Meant to do that, of course. And uh, and then there was another time where Matt Hardy and I were wrestling each other. Um, it was sort of like an impromptu thing. Also, it was funny because that day I was supposed to have a different match, and five minutes before the match, Matt comes around the corner and says, "Like, hey, uh, we got a three segment match, and we're up next." Right. And um, so we went out there and just kind of worked on the fly. And at one point, we did this spot on house shows that worked really well, where I would be on the guardrail, mm. leaning against the guardrail, and he would come and grab me, and I would like just push both of his uh, in his chest, and he would eat the the stairs with his oh, back. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. And uh, for whatever reason, we weren't lined up right, and he missed mm. it entirely. So because it was live, and he's so damn good, he just said like, "Oh, just stay right there. Let's do it again." 
and we just boom did it again perfectly and in post-production they just snipped it right out and oh. nobody was the wiser see in those cases i appreciate that but when it's like live live and so-called botch because again i hate using that word because real people don't know what a botch is but <laughs> right. but when 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 there's a sort of a screw up that's noticeable let's say like that then like, I prefer not going back to that move and trying it again, because that takes out of realism. I would rather just skip it or try it later in the match. Do you agree with that sentiment as well? All right, 100%. Yep. That's why I try to stress that in the, at the academy, that if something gets screwed up, like, just fix it. You know, if you're doing a drill and something gets messed up, see how you can fix it on the fly. And I, I always never go back to anything unless it's being taped. Gotcha. The, the first time I ever even experienced that was uh, I was an extra for SmackDown. This was be- well before I got hired. Right. And I watched, I think it was Ray Mysterio and Sheldon Benjamin. And Ray Ray went for a springboard something okay. or other, and he slipped. Huh. And so they literally just lined up and redid it. And I looked at Davari. Davari was there with me. And he, he had already been hired, I believe. And he looked okay. at me and he goes, yeah, they actually want you to do that here because it's these shows are, yes, the live crowd is there, but the most important thing to get across is is everything to the home audience, the viewing audience. So, so I would assume then when you guys did house shows, it was like almost a free for all, especially when nothing oh. was being recorded, right? That's when you guys have your fun, yeah. no? <laughs> oh yeah, yep. House shows are always fun. You know, they're more intimate. We get to interact a little more with the the that, crowd. You get some more freedom. Yeah, especially nowadays with social media, you see those posts when they're at like house shows and you see the characters being broken and the real selves going up to people and stuff. And yeah. I understand on a produced television show, you can't really do that and whatnot. But you know what? It's still nice to break that fourth wall every once in a while. Like, I know you did it even once in a while where you're like talking like, and then you would just like turn to the camera as if you were talking to us directly instead of talking to like a whole show. Like, you know what I mean? Stuff like that is like classic, I find. When it's used... You know, when it's used sparingly, I think it can be really effective. Look at uh, House of Cards is one of the first ones I remember. Right? Right? He would just, if something would be happening and he would turn and look at us and go, do you see what I'm seeing? Exactly. See, stuff like that, because it makes you part of the show, I think. It almost like he's talking to you directly, right? Yeah, yeah. Instead of talking to the masses, as they say. Oh, my God. And, And one thing I did notice, though. You're one of the few guys who's, when you've left WWE, you've never gone back. Now, if you had the chance to go back, I'm sure you would probably hop on it or not. But what would you want to do if you did go back to WWE? Would it be as a wrestler, an agent, a manager? Like, what would you want to accomplish on your second run there? Um, You know, I guess there's part of me that would love to just do a little more wrestling. Oh, okay. More storytelling. Sure. Um, whether that's as an active performer or uh, like like a wrestler or uh, or just a managerial role or something like that. Um, you know, I, people have suggested commentary to me oh. before. Mm-hmm. And believe it or not, like, it just doesn't sound like something that I'm... I, I feel like... Um, I don't feel like I'm really good with calling stuff like that on the fly but maybe um, maybe it's just a muscle that i haven't exercised okay you know that's possible but that's fair yeah i don't there there is a significant amount of talent that those guys require to be able to just get out there and go live all the time and 
and not screw up and have Vince yelling at you in your ear. Well, I guess he's not there yelling anymore. But it's funny because like I did a I did commentary a few times while I was there. Oh, like okay. somebody somebody that I was feuding with would be having a match. Oh, one of those. So I gotcha. get on the headset. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and it was interesting to see how that how those people like worked and lived because Vince would feed you feed you lines sometimes he would just say like I remember somebody took some kind of move and like stick a fork in him he's done hey stick a fork in him he's done like you know just feeding us lines well so even to you guys like the guest commentators you guys heard everything and everything was fed to you as well oh shit yeah I don't know that I thought you guys were just there as whatever it was just on the Mm -hmm. flight type of stuff no, in your headset oh, you got wow. Vince, you got uh, Kevin God. Dunn, the executive producer, right? Of course, and whoever the uh, whoever the producer was. So you know. Okay, I don't want to. I hate doing like dream match scenarios, so I'll, I want to skip that. But if you <laughs> if you were to come back as a manager with the current talent as is, who would you want either to manage or form a stable with and be like that sort of like Keenan family type of thing? You know, I like the Alpha Academy. They're Minnesota boys, too. I love them, too, man. Um, so underrated. Yeah, they're great. I think uh, Gable is just, he's a workhorse. Um, and they're, and like, strong as an ox. Like, literally, they don't, they don't. Portray that. You wouldn't understand. Yeah, like, yeah. their their strength is just incredible. Um, you know, like, I'm going to go with what, Everybody's saying right now, mm. Sami Zayn is just oh off the charts. Right. Um, Sam Shaw, uh, what's his name? Dexter. Oh, Lewis. there's a good one. He, I, I had his first feud ever in TNA. Oh my god, that's right. When he was that like creeper psycho. Yes. Yeah. Okay, I forgot about that. Yeah. So I would love to, oh, you know, revisit something like that. A guy like him. Um, the Usos. I've always. You know, I've enjoyed them. Um, <clears throat> there's, there's so much. I, I think there's so many people. Cody Rhodes, like, there's so many mm-hmm. people that are super talented. You look at a guy like Cody, too, who left. He was unhappy, and he went, and he literally wrote his own ticket. No kidding, right? You know, he's, he started taking independent bookings around the world and made a big deal out of it and, you know, had some specific things that needed to be met on each show and he wouldn't just wrestle anybody he wouldn't just wrestle on any any show he didn't whore himself out um like some of us uh, (laughs) (laughs) so yeah uh that's an incredible story right there oh my goodness okay i'm gonna throw one in there and you i think you did mention this the last time or another i'm thinking about it because he was in the nwa at the time he is now known as L.A. Knight, Eli Drake. Yeah. Use two guys together, I think, would be fantastic as well, my friend. Because I think that, I've always said it, even when he was on his TNA run back in the day before he left there too, this guy, the first time I heard him talk, I said, this guy is gold. This guy should be world champ no matter where he goes. His in-ring is just as good as well. But I don't know why people aren't really gravitating to him. But thank God now, he, like, he was put in a shitty storyline with Bray, in my opinion. But everyone's talking about how L.A. Knight... Stood uh, like toe to toe with Bray on the mic, like you know. So he's finally starting to get his flowers, so to speak, which is well deserved. I think he's the best speaker. Uh, he's got to be up there, like top three or four best speakers in the business right now. Right? He's so good. 
he doesn't need a whole lot to work on. He can just off the top of his head. Um, yeah, like you said, he ticks every box. He's got he's got everything. His heel work, he has that like quality about him where you just want to <laughs> fucking bite his nose right? off. Like, oh, I don't like you. Um, you know, that's I'm, I'm speaking strictly character wise here, but um, yeah, he's he's really good. I think you know, you look at. I never understood why people hated Roman so much, mm. right? They hated him. And die, Roman, die. And, you know, all this. And like, kind of like die, Rocky, die. They treated him just the same way. You know and what? Yeah. He stuck around and now look at him. Everybody that's on the bandwagon acts as though, oh, we've been here all along. Like, right? <laughs> Even Hollywood's and, acting like that towards The Rock now. Like, at first, they're like, oh, who's this wrestler? Now, yep. it's like everyone wants to be The Rock's friend. It's like, yep. oh, fuck. They're this. too big. Remember, they... When he first got to Hollywood, he was trying to like fit into their little box, right? and losing a bunch of weight, and exactly, oh, just just nuts. And now that he is fully himself, I I do say though, I will say though, like I wish, um, I feel like he has more range than he lets out. Like mm. this, I think uh, I'd like to see him do some some silly shit, you know, like. Some silly stuff or some really, really, really serious stuff. Everything is sort of in that, like, action comedy genre. You know what? That's true. <clears throat> so. Yeah, that would be good. Because it's true. Because I there's another guy. When when I first started seeing him appear on WWE TV, when he actually got the mic part of the nation and all that stuff, when he got to Blossom, <clears throat> I was like, this guy could be a movie star. Like, that was the first thought in my mind. Yep. Like, you know what I mean? Yep. Like, other people, like, before him, I guess the only one really was probably Hogan. That one, you, you know, f- for a fact. It was just aesthetic. He was the name. That's all you're getting. You know what I mean? But with The Rock, he could actually carry himself and be a good actor. It was crazy. Yeah. Yep. I remember thinking that about him and Austin. Oh, there's and, another good one. Yeah. You know, these guys, why, why isn't Hollywood taking advantage of these guys? Oh, they but, do their own stunts. And that's the thing, too. And I was just going to say, now you, you're, you're starting to see it. Cena, Batista. Who would have thought yeah. Batista would be the actor? Like, we're talking about all these guys. I think I've yeah. enjoyed more of Batista's movies than all of those other guys before him. I agree. Right? I agree 100%. Like, yep. Uh, I'll tell you what, though. Like, uh, as far as Cena goes, there was one that my wife and I watched okay. probably six months, six months or so ago. And it blew me away how good he was in it. Um, it's the one where they like go on vacation. Yes. And then after vacation, they like, vacation friends, I think. Yes. And then after they think they, they swap or something and they're like, get all drunk yep. and shit. Yes. That was a good movie. I, I really like, he showed, he showed a little bit of range there too. Like his willingness to show his ass. That's true too. Yeah. And not just be a hard ass, you know. <laughs> oh my! Well, you had a little dip in acting too, thanks to WWE, right? You were what, yeah. what was that movie? Uh, Enemy Lines, Behind Enemy Lines. That was it. Yep. Well, like, how was your experience in that? And why didn't you pursue acting even further after that? Um, you know, I did. I just didn't put as much effort into the acting as I probably should have. Oh. Um, and I, I didn't put the same amount of effort into that as I did with with wrestling. Um. But it's something that I would, I'm definitely interested in exploring more and, and revisiting. Um, 
I, I actually moved out to New York City for a while after I left WWE. Oh, I went sure. out to New York City. Well, I lived in Jersey City. I don't know if you're familiar with with that whole area, right, but yeah. Jersey City is like, you know, they consider it. Some people consider it to be the sixth borough. It's right across the river. Right. Um, I was, you know, a five minute walk from a subway that would take me under the Hudson River right into the red uh, to the World Trade Center. Oh, okay. Um, but I had an agent there, and the thing was, is, um, uh, right after I moved back to Minnesota, or maybe it was, I don't know, it was really hard because I, um, every audition that I had had to be in person, right? Which is why you had to be there. But exactly. now they're doing more like remote stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I remember Batista telling me that he was considering, I believe he was considering moving from Tampa over to LA oh, okay. and right, right as he got that role, um, he didn't want to though. He, he's like, why, why can't I just stay here and just send my auditions right. or fly out there when I need to? Um, so I, the nice thing is we don't necessarily have to live in LA or New York anymore, but that used to be the case. You know, you have to be in the, you know, right there in the mix. So, Oh my God. So, okay. So, what did you enjoy about acting and like, what was the best thing that you think your experience wise of being on, on a set? Cause you were pretty much like the main star, right? Oh uh, yeah. I was like, um, second, probably second lead. Oh, there you go. Um, the, Joe Manganiello played the lead. Oh, that's right. Okay. Um, it, which was his first role in a movie, which really? is kind of interesting. Yeah. Oh, looking which, oh, that you was know, a while ago then. Shit. <laughs> yeah. He had he had done some small bit roles in some other independent films, okay. and he was on like How I Met Your Mother. He played a recurring, sort of a minor recurring character mm. that was really funny. Um, a couple other things too. One Tree Hill, I believe he was on. Okay, that that was his first, you know, lead in a in a film, and he did really. I, I thought he did really well. Um, oh, I'm sorry. What was the question you asked? How, how, <laughs> how was it for you? Like the whole experience of being like on a set and filming and all that stuff. I remember when I was a kid. I don't remember how old I was when this came out, but okay. uh, going to see ET in the theater with my mom and mom, how do I do that? I want to. I want to do that. Mm. And I remember her saying. You know, ah, it's really hard. You have to know the right people. You have to live out in L.A. Yeah. Um, it's just basically she said it was impossible. Um, but I'll tell you what, like, that was my that was my ultimate goal when I was a kid. Like, I dreamt about, you know, telling stories, mm. entertaining people. And so that was a, a dream come true for sure. And it was so much different from what we experience in the wrestling world, you know. Mm. Um, the treatment is so much different. Oh, of course. WWE or just the wrestling world in general. Right. You know, we work sometimes like 17 or 18 hours a day because and it's not like backbreaking labor all the time necessarily, but it's right. travel and travel sucks. Yeah. Can suck. But it, yeah, it's you know, and you'd go from town to town WWE, the schedule was like five days a week. If you were doing an overseas tour, it was seven days a week. Mm. We would do, I remember doing uh, 19 days, 19 shows in 21 days. One oh time. my God, that's nuts. <laughs> um, and where was I going with this? 
Where the fuck was <laughs> We were talking about being on set, being there for the first time. Oh, the treatment. How they treat uh, different from oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> the two worlds. It, it was just like, I remember one day being on oh, set. Shit. And I believe I believe it's eight, eight hours, maybe ten hours max, right? Okay. And the assistant director was like, guys, we have to get this shot in the next 15 minutes or we're screwed. Oh wow! And I just pulled her aside, and I was like, "Hey, I'm like, I'm cool. Just, just let's stay here until we get it done. Yeah, yeah. we got to stay here all night." And she goes, Haha, "No, honey, uh, it doesn't work like that in Hollywood. Like, you, um, you, you have to. It's if it's eight hours, you can only work eight hours. If they start to go over, they pay like double time and triple time oh, and quadruple time, shit. and it's just a." whole huge crazy process um like i had my own trailers people would always offer to like, carry my bags for me oh. in wwe in the wrestling business if you if somebody catches you you know giving your bag to somebody else right. uh yeah that's heat you know like what do you think you are you think you're better than everybody else so it's just uh way <laughs> way different oh my god well speaking of traveling You've rolled with a ton of people, I'm sure, up and down the road. Like, I remember one story you said once, too, was you rolled with Guerrero and Benoit. I could only imagine what you learned from those two. What have been some of your best stories or people that you've traveled with over the years? Um, Matt Hardy and Shane Helms were. Oh. We had some fun. We had some fun times. Um, boy. <laughs> so... <laughs> I'm going to try to like condense this as much as possible, but like one of them actually the Matt Hardy road story kind of, um, Crispin Wallace was along for this adventure. Okay. Um, so when I was, when I was traveling with Eddie and Chris, we would get to the hotel sometimes like two thirty, three o'clock in the morning. Right. And, okay. then, and then those guys would sit by the elevator and go like, what time do you want to get up tomorrow morning? No, no, whatever. What, what, what time do you want to get up? You know, and they would ar- argue back and <laughs> oh forth and like, Neither one of them would, like, pull the trigger on it. And, like, sure. and then I'm just sitting there, like, you know, I just drove this whole way because that was the deal. I had to do all the driving. Right. Um, I just drove, and now I'm exhausted, and I'm thinking I'm going to go get, like, you know, eight or ten hours of sleep. And like I said, it's, like, two thirty, three o'clock in the morning, and, hey, uh, what, what do you think about uh, 7.30 we meet for breakfast? Hmm. Uh go eat something, you know, take our pre-workout and then, and then hit the gym. Mm. And I'm sitting there going like, you know, I have to go up to my room. I have to shower. I have to take my gear out. I have to sort of like clean it up. Like I'm only going to get like three hours of sleep. Plus I can't just ever lay down and just go right to sleep. Ah, okay. I have to wind down a little bit. Yeah, I'm the same way. Got to call in and check in, check in at home. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and, um, so it was like that every single night. So I was getting like four hours of sleep. And I remember telling oh, Matt this story. Right. And then one time, uh, Matt and I were riding on a loop. And he happened to bump into Chris Benoit at the airport. And Chris was like, hey, who are you riding with? And he told him. And he's like, you mind if I jump in with you guys this weekend? So he did. And I, we were on our way to the first hotel. It's late at night. And um, Chris was like he, we knew it was coming right like what time you guys want to get up and, and uh, he go he looked at me and he said like do you want to work out tomorrow and i said yeah definitely mm. and he goes uh hey matt 
how much sleep do you need? Seven and a half hours at least. <laughs> seven, seven and a half hours minimum. That's oh. and and like I being that I was relatively new, right. I had to. I couldn't say something like that. Of course, that. yeah. How much sleep do you need? Whatever sleep you think is appropriate for me to, <laughs> to need. That's what I need. Oh, my God. Uh, that was the correct answer. But Matt had been around there for so long right? that, you know, he could get away with it. So, yeah. I remember one time uh, going to breakfast. It, that was the same morning. We okay. went to breakfast. So we worked out, went to breakfast, and uh, I, whatever restaurant we were at had these, like, giant omelets right i'm just oh. thinking like i ordered an omelet some oatmeal and some fruit and i mean i got a platter wow. so i eat half the omelet <laughs> and chris is looking at me like aren't you gonna aren't you gonna finish that <laughs> i was like no i'm not uh i'm not really hungry anymore he goes you should force feed yourself what and uh i just i said <laughs> no that's okay no yeah. thanks and he and he laughed. Okay. And it was almost like, like kind of a test. Oh. Like if I would have said, if I would have said, oh, okay, well, whatever you say, Chris, I'll, I'll yeah. force feed myself. Then I, you know, that would have been it for me. Yeah, <laughs> you would have become a super heavyweight. <laughs> he would have, well, he, he would have known that like, oh, this guy's just, uh, I could push him around or whatever. Oh my goodness. Oh. Kind of like prison a little bit, right? Oh, He'll it's... test you. Well, it's so funny, like the nuances and the unspoken like rules in wrestling. Like, that's I'll tell you the truth. That's one of the things that gravitated to me once the sort of curtain was revealed. It was like yep. just like the stuff that everyone needs to know when you break into the business. Like, you know what I mean? And like in, in your instance at your school, do you teach sort of these nuances, or is this stuff that you just learn by being thrown into fire? No, I definitely, I definitely teach that whenever oh, I can. Okay, um, okay. At the end of every class, I usually go around and just field a bunch of questions. People can ask whatever they want. Oh. And sometimes they're asking, you know, storytelling questions sure. as far as, like, what to do in the ring. And, and sometimes they're just, like, fan questions, you know. Like, what was it like in this instance? Like, we're kind of like what we're doing right now, like, yeah. just talking. And, uh, and from time to time, we'll be able to go on these roads. And, yeah, I think that's super important, right? Like the etiquette in this business is very, very important. If you, if you go into a locker room for the first time and you make the wrong impression because you did something that you just didn't know any better about, right? sometimes you can be screwed. You can't unring that bell. So. No, it's um, it's so true. Like I, I could only imagine what goes through a rookie's mind walking into a locker room, like not even in a new promotion, just period for the very first time. Cause I had the opportunity of going into a gym and actually seeing guys getting trained and stuff. And I don't know if I was just scared shitless or if I was just so unnerved not to screw up. I was like, do I need to shake everyone's hand? If, if he calls me in the ring, do I need to take off my shoes? Do I need to wipe my feet? Like how I see the red, like, you know what I mean? It's like all these little stuff. It's like, I don't want to rub anyone the wrong way. Cause, and I'm just a fan, but at the same time, I don't want to disrespect anyone. Right. Yep. Like I know there are some wrestlers who they will just see something like somebody not wiping their feet when they get in the ring. Okay. And like, instantly puts them in a category of people that uh, ah, I don't, I don't want to really have anything to do with that guy. Like I, I already right. don't like him, you know, um, <laughs> one time. So my trainer, when I broke in and he didn't know any better, but 
he told me, uh, have you heard about the worker handshake? Like, are you familiar with this? I've heard it, but I don't know exact. I've heard in passing. So old school, like when I first broke in, he showed me, my, my trainer showed me this handshake. And okay. it was just basically like a really light handshake. Right. Either with uh, your thumb and your first two fingers. Really? Or, or just a really, really weak, soft, normal handshake that looks normal to everyone around, but... Okay. you can feel is limp, right? Okay, no, I've never heard this. Okay. <laughs> sounds weird, but, um, and, and the idea behind that was like, people could go up to somebody and say like, Hey, um, I'm in the business. Right. I'm, I'm a worker or not even say that and just do the handshake. And they would know, oh, okay, this guy's cool. I can, gotcha. He's in on it. Okay. Right? And it was like when kayfabe was really a thing. So right. my trainer told me, Hey, if you ever meet any of those guys at like WWE or WCW, <laughs> shake their hands like this yeah. so i went to my very first no it, it was my second loop as an extra um i drove myself to went to cleveland mm. cleveland ohio for raw and then detroit for smackdown okay and uh i believe it was in detroit and chris benoit Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko, and Perry Saturn had oh, just come over from WCW. Gotcha. It was the New Radicals. Yep, I know exactly the time. And uh, so they were working on it. I went to a Bally's early in the morning before the show, and okay. uh, those guys are there. And I'm nervous as hell, you know. <laughs> I, I just going to go up and shake their hand and say hi. And I, right. I see uh, Dean, and I just go up to him, and I... Hey Dean, and I stick out my hand to shake his hand, and I, and I gave him a little limp <laughs> worker handshake, and he goes, "Jesus fucking Christ!" Oh, <sighs> these fucking guys today—they think that they, they they shake hands like that that makes they're in the business. <laughs> and in, in hindsight, it, it was just him being—he was just being funny, but I didn't right. know if he was being serious. Or, yeah, no fun. I wouldn't have known either. <laughs> but, oh my God, I was just like. Oh, sorry. <laughs> that was it. Oh my god, that's years hilarious. later. I was able to talk to him about it, and we laughed about it. But you know, but you see, that's so. Again, another thing. Whoever came up with this is so genius because you think like a macho, muscular guy who's what sort of the look of a wrestler should be in many people's ideas would come in with that hard, aggressive handshake, not break eye contact. But then you know, like, okay, this guy is just, you know, a muscle head, so to speak. And then you were, no, we're going to go the complete opposite. Let's make it as limp as we can. Cause no one's going to ever think of shaking your hand limp. Right. Right. <laughs> so crazy. Well, the, whole, the whole, I guess the, the thought process behind it is that it means that you're light in the ring. I, I used to oh, I like that. give like an old timer a handshake and it yeah. was a little firm and go, whoa, whoa, kid, like <laughs> stiff. <laughs> I remember some guys telling me like, you shake hands like that with a, with a legend in the business and they'll, they'll think that you're stiff and they won't want to want to work with you. So that, I've seen a couple people do this to Vince. Oh, it's just, okay. it's a thing of the past now, right? right? It doesn't, it doesn't really occur. The only time I ever run into it is like, there's still some, some indie guys okay. in our area and other places that still adhere to the, the we can shake thing. Sure. Um, but I remember seeing Rob Terry, do you know who Rob Terry is? Big. Oh, the English guy was Jack part of British invasion. Yes. Yes. Yep. Of course. Um, he was at a try or he had a little tryout at a Monday night raw. Okay. 
over in England when we were on an overseas tour, and he went okay. up to Vince and gave him a weak handshake, and Vince okay. just turned around and stopped, and he goes, come here. No. Put out your hand again. And he, you know, shake it like shake it like that. Right. Like, don't ever shake my hand like that again, okay? We don't do that anymore. <laughs> he was cool about it, though. He wasn't a jerk. Well, but again, it's it's still a sign of respect. I don't think if someone's doing it, it's out of like making fun of or whatever. It's still in their mentality. It's a sort of like, oh, I know this person's been in the business for so long. I'm going to show them the respect. And also a little tap of the knob being, I know the business too sort of thing, right? Yeah, exactly. So, yep. yeah, you can, but it, it's funny. Again, like I said, the, just the, I guess you could say like the Carney stuff that people used to come up with back in the day to keep kayfabe you know and it's the lengths wrestlers used to go through back in the day is like fantastic do you ever okay how about this is there any era of wrestling before you were born that you wish you were be you were able to wrestle in uh yeah like i don't know to me i just i look back at um just that early 80s you know wrestlemania was one through five and okay. it, uh, it was just something about the way those guys moved. Um, That's what got me hooked. I don't know what it was. Like they just it, everybody threw a good punch. Like if you watch the WrestleMania one through five, I bet you won't be able to pick one person out that has a bad looking punch or a, kind of a weak looking punch. It's just, and I know that's something like super simple, and <laughs> but I don't know. To me, those those are the kinds of things that are important. Um, Jim Ross used to say that his litmus, his test mm. to see if somebody was a good worker, you know, he'd look him up and down. All right. He fits the bill. Show me your working punch. And if somebody had a really good, tight, solid, but you know, a punch that didn't knock somebody's block off. Right. He would, uh, he would give him a second look. That I mean, that wouldn't mean that, you know, they were completely blessed in his eyes, but at least he would, it would move he would move him forward in the process in his brain oh my goodness yeah again it's the small like that era is what got me hooked on wrestling like i've said it before wrestlemania 4 to me is the still my favorite wrestlemania maybe it was six because it was here in toronto and it was the whole hogan ultimate warrior and as a child those were my two favorites and obviously yeah. champion versus champion no one's ever seen that before too really on a major pay-per-view yeah. but wrestlemania 4 that tournament style because i'm a i was like a huge mixed martial artist fan back in the day with blood well, sport kickboxer so anything yeah. tournament wise hook line and sinker for me my friend and that whole content and it's true like everyone from top to bottom and what the like <clears throat> when that tournament first started everyone thought okay this is hogan's tournament he's winning no ifs ands or buts then when he was paired up against andre and they were both out in the first round it was like who the hell's gonna win this yeah and that was just yeah. great storytelling like you know oh. what's interesting about that too my my wife was not a wrestling fan she okay. grew up as a wrestling fan she's obviously a fan to some degree now and um she wanted to she wanted to go back and uh, I, I can't remember where we were, but um, we were about around a bunch of other wrestlers, right? Okay. And somebody's name came up that was like a legend in the business, oh. and she was like, "Who is that guy? Or who are they talking about?" You know. And, uh, <laughs> sure, and, said, sure. and she afterwards, she's like, "I feel really bad. Like I feel like oh. disrespectful right. when we're around these guys that I don't know these things." So, uh-huh. which is pretty cool, and. Right. Uh, she took an interest, and so we went back and started at WrestleMania One. Oh, awesome! And we watched like all the pod. Um, uh, it started out we were just watching the WrestleManias, and then okay. we started doing all the. We found a website that has all the pay per views building up to it. So like, oh, now we can see. gotcha. 
the pay-per-views that led up to the, the uh, WrestleMania five. Right. Um, and, uh, she noticed, she said, nobody looks weak. Like you never know who's going to win. And she said, even, you know, when somebody gets beaten, they don't look like a chump. It's never like, uh, that is so uh, super cool. definitive. It's like that one, two, three kick out. Mm-hmm. Um, or they, or they would do something to save face. And, uh, so I thought that was an interesting, interesting observation by my wife. And I would have to agree. There was just something different about that, that time period. It was. And I think, you know what it was? And honestly, it's just, when the Attitude Era came, that's when everything blew up, in my opinion, and everyone wanted more and more and more and more. Where, as back then, it's like you said, everything was more methodical. Everyone had a purpose. Like The matches, it's true. If someone hit a finisher, no one's kicking out of a finisher. Now, those are like regular high, high spots, in my opinion, where people just kick out, and or even the transition spot now that they use it for. And it's like, oh my God. And it's true. You really never knew who was going to win at a pay-per-view. Now, when they had like superstars and it was enhancement matches, sure, obviously you know. Or you would still get that one-off surprise like when it was with X-Pac and, uh, and Razor Ramon on Monday Night Raw. Which, again, is great storytelling, in my opinion. But yeah, now it's like you know, as a wrestling fan, building up to something, who's going to win the match? Like, I'm sorry. Or very close. You you know what I mean? It's it's not like a surprise anymore. Every once in a while, they like, we're just going to throw a curveball at them here just for the sake of throwing a curveball versus, Mm. you know, for the sake of storytelling. No, it's Um, so true. Like, everything, like, now even thinking back, like, it just passed the Royal Rumble. The, those first early Royal Rumbles, oh my goodness! Especially the one where Flair won the world title at the Rumble, and Heenan was on on the call. That's one yeah. of my favorite Rumbles when uh, Bret Hart and Lex Luger fell out at the same time. Like, there's so many memorable moments from the Rumble, and I find that, except for this year's, because I love this year's. It's one of my, my favorites too now. But yeah, leading up to this year, like the past five to even ten years. It's been the same thing over... Like, even the surprises didn't even, like, make, make me happy. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I've been getting away from the surprises more and more, it seems right? to. Like, yeah. Which I get. I understand that to some degree. We've got all these talent. We got, you know, they got a pretty deep they roster. They do. Well, even and NXT, if you want to count them too, right? Yeah. And they've got a bunch of people that aren't being used who would like to be used, so... Should we use this guy that's under contract right now, or should we bring this guy in that hasn't been here in a couple of years and we don't know what kind of uh, work we're going to get out of this guy? See, but again, here's the flip side, though. If the contracted guy is not in any stories and he's not doing anything, if he enters the Rumble, everyone knows he's not going to win. So why waste? Like, you know what I mean? So it's like that. But it's true because you don't want to bring in an outsider and take a spot because, you know, who doesn't want to be in the Rumble, obviously? However, though, with... You know, in that similar fashion, uh, when you see somebody that hasn't been in the company for 10 years come out, and you know that's that they're true. not going to win the Royal Rumble either, right? Like, that is true. I'm sorry. Like, I love Booker T, but when I saw him come oh, out yeah. this year, I was like, okay, no, he's not winning, obviously. <laughs> but then the surprises that I like are the ones who come back from injuries, like the Edges, the Cena's, like when they come yeah. back earlier than expect. And you see, like, I don't... I. I know why they did it because they wanted more views, but imagine if Cody was a secret and he came out as 30. Oh my God, the pop, yep. right? I'll tell you what, to, to that to that point, 
One of the things that was sort of frustrating at TNA, mm. I loved my time there. I loved it. Um, it was just, they always wanted to do that surprise thing. Okay. And their mentality was, hey, if they miss it, they're going to damn sure tune in next time. They're going to make sure, like, we have to watch because we never know what we're going to miss. Right. Okay. And it just, but it never worked. It oh. never changed the ratings enough. So we would, I, like, really? Jeff Hardy came back and it, it was a, 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 no, it was a complete surprise. Right. And, you know, the ratings don't, don't move. And it was just like, we had all of these people that were big stars in WWE that came in. Yeah. And they were always a surprise and it, you know, it's weird because it falls on deaf ears almost. Like if a tree falls in the woods, it doesn't make a sound. You know, it's so. And I find it so weird. Like that's why when AEW first popped up, I was one of the skeptical persons. I was like, "Oh, this is just going to be another TNA. Everyone's going to be on board first, and it's going to fizzle out." But it hasn't. Like it's almost as if the original NXT fan base migrated over to that AEW because a lot of the live shows feel like that old school NXT base, right? But with TNA, I never understood. The storylines were great. Like you said, the talent was fucking crazy at one point. But it never took off. Like, I don't know if it's just the loyalty of people watching WWE slash WWF or if it's just like, oh, I don't trust it because it hasn't been here long enough. I, I think, too, it has. It, it, there was a big difference as far as the marketing goes. Mm. You know, like WWE, I came off a really hot run at WWE like four years. I had a pretty good run there Mm -hmm. and, um, and I got to TNA and I remember just the first thing that stuck out to me was, um, my first, my first interview or my first appearance, right? I I went and did a bunch of radio interviews and WWE would, all right, we're going to pick you up before raw at five o'clock in the morning. And we're going to go to all these radio stations. And then we're going to go head over to this. Mm. We're going to do a couple TV pops, excuse me, then we're going to have uh, an autograph session at this little place just for like 30 minutes. Okay. Were, you know, and they had it all. They would pick you up in either a limo or town car. You would have a handler with you, somebody oh, wow. that was like a go-between, so you didn't have right. to be, you know, if something went wrong, they sit sit tight, we'll fix it. And um, I, I when I first got to TNA, they were like, uh, here's the address for <laughs> your parents. Really? And uh, here's your contact and uh, like, well, you know, am I supposed to, like, you just go in through the front door and the yeah. fans are there. And I tell you, like, there's something that's good about that, right? About just, like, being accessible to people. Sure. But there's also, celebrity is so, sort of an illusion. And it's, supply and demand works. <laughs> it does. Right? And um, if you're constantly just, uh, I don't know, completely normal, and you don't make these appearances sort of like grandiose, mm. they're, they're not as important or they're not as impactful, if that makes sense. No, it makes complete sense. And that goes even in the social media realm type of things. Like if someone who has no follower says something and someone who has followers says the exact same thing, who do you think is going to get quoted? Like, you know what I mean? Because that person is considered a celebrity. So, you know, you have to, it's true. You have to, and I think that's one of my biggest downfalls on this, having this podcast is, again, I've have I've been doing this for six years now. Haven't missed an episode in over three hundred weeks. Quality guests as yourself and many others, and it's like when someone has the exact same guests, they take a quote from that show because they have that blue check mark versus mine, and it's like, well, what the hell? Like you know what I mean? But I I understand yep. it. It's it's the game, yep. unfortunately, right? But you guys, the 
you know, it's it's the baseball season. You got to like just stick it, stick it out, ride it out. It's like look at everything that um, L.A. Knight has gone through and right. <laughs> and what what um, Roman went through. It's true too. Right, you gotta. Eventually, it'll happen where you'll be the guy with the blue check mark, and if you keep if you keep bumping it, you know. All right, so uh, well, that's what that's what I'm gonna live and die by. Because anything else, uh, it's like I don't think I'm gonna be able to break through any other way other than my consistency and my grinding and so-called hustle, as they call it. Even though I don't find this a hustle, because I love doing this. So, and yeah. and I believe that's another reason why I think it will eventually be where I think it should be because. Like they said, if you enjoy doing something, it's not work, right? So, exactly. And people notice that shit. I'm, I'm sorry to say, like, there's a lot of podcasts I listen to. Again, I'm not going to name names and shit, but you could tell it's either fabricated or they don't really want to be there that sort of day. And I could even tell when I have guests on, yeah. when I meet for the first time, it's like, oh, fuck. I could tell already because I'm sort of like trying to pull extra out of them. And it's like, oh, you don't really want to be here. But you know what? I got to try and make the best of it. But again, yeah. I totally understand the game from top to bottom. And I don't blame anyone. It's just the way life is, unfortunately, right? Yeah. Yeah. And for every, uh, you know, for every host such as yourself that asks good questions and interesting questions, you've got somebody that just, you know, I don't know how many interviews that I've done. Okay where it appears like the person just goes on Wikipedia 10 minutes before they interview me. I've heard and that just so many times. Write down a bunch of points and then just basically ask me to confirm what they already know. I know. I hear that. Or even some cockamamie questions, like like personal stuff. And, and yeah. like it's like, come on, like... If you want personal stuff, build a relationship and talk to them off air. Don't fucking air that shit. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, ah. Oh. But again, it's... It's crazy. You see some actors sometimes. Like I've, I was watching a, I got lost down this rabbit hole of Jonah Hill videos oh, okay. where people were asking him like really inappropriate questions, mm. and or that, that they just think. I don't think sometimes people think before they speak. They just like I want to know this, so I'm going to ask him. And uh, and he got pissed about it, and his his responses I think were very uh, very good and. Sort of like he was pissed, right. but at the same time, it was like an educational moment, like mm. learning tool. No, and I, I just think you know what it is. It's sort of like these people who have like so called the cameras rolling or a microphone rolling. It's almost like social media. They're hiding behind something, so they think that that person is just going to go along with it, no matter what you ask. Because actually, speaking of that, I just finished watching w- with my wife uh, the Pamela Anderson doc that just dropped on Netflix. Yeah. And they were showing back like when she was on Leno and other these late night shows and they're like asking her about the size of her tits and this, this and that. And yeah. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, I, and yeah. with like a, a, a smirk and as if this was normal shit. It's fucking yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. Like, what are you thinking, man? Right? Oh. I remember, I remember running into, uh, we were going into a restaurant. It was me, Matt and Shane mm. Helms rolling somewhere and matt hardy at the time was dating ashley massaro mm, mm-hmm. somebody came up and was like hey matt no disrespect but your girl's tits are fucking awesome or something like that and i remember like shane just turned and goes no disrespect and so like from that point on whenever we wanted to say something shitty about somebody we go like hey no disrespect but Fuck you. <laughs> and I never understood that too. Like you think you're going to get away. Like if you're saying no disrespect, that means you mean disrespect. Like it's like. <laughs> God bless him. God bless him. But. 
Oh my Bless God! I don't know. People are just weird from top to bottom, and I just don't understand anything. Well, okay. How about this? Have you speaking of weird? Because I find the culture weird, and I love it to death. Have you ever got the chance to wrestle over in Japan? No. Oh really, shit! But, I, I take that back. I did, but it was a WWE experience. Oh, okay, I, I that's different. Two house shows, I believe. We just did a really short tour over there. Okay. So one time, it was a short tour. It was two or three nights. I wrestled Jericho, which was nice. an awesome, funny experience. <laughs> um, and then I also I had gone over there and done some some press. Oh, like okay. I went over there for four days one time just to do media. Right. Um, so I never got to experience like a proper New Japan style crowd oh. because, and, and here's the thing, like as I'm ge- gearing up and getting ready to perform, right. I'm kind of nervous because I've seen these videos of this, like I've never experienced a crowd that just sits there in silence right? and then claps when they see something they like, and then they <laughs> shut up again. And so I was kind of nervous and like, are they, I don't do a bunch of high flying stuff and I'm not a strong style oh, guy. Oh shit, true. Right? So um like are they gonna shit on me? And the funny thing was is we found out that at that time at least, the Japanese crowd was emulating what they would see on WWE programs. Oh. So because they would get Monday Night Raw and they would hear the crowds cheering, booing, right, chanting, they would do that too. Like yeah, yeah. And so I remember Jericho, I believe Jericho and I opened the show and uh, he had me in the headlock and I like reached up very slowly and like we turn away from the refs so the refs on this side and I would pull his hair and and they would boo, like everybody in the building, boo. (laughs) And then all he would do is like cinch it up and yay, boo. We did it like five or six times and I remember like- I'm in this hole and I'm laughing. Yeah. I can't believe how silly this is that they react. They they would re- react off a reversal out oh of the corner. God. So that was it was a fun experience, but I still haven't experienced that like proper Japanese crowd. And I, I I love it because their fans are so like educated towards the product where they understand everything and they know not to be no pun intended fucking assholes like you know what i mean yes it's like no no kidding like i loved it over there and it's something that i really before i die before i quit the business uh i'd like to get over there um it was my favorite place on earth besides melbourne australia (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> brownie points for the misses right <laughs> um no but honestly it's, uh, my favorite place to visit was tokyo i just it's it's, oh, it's awesome. a completely different world than the thing was their fans are so respectful just the people over there are so respectful i would you know i'd have like a six o'clock call time 6 a.m call time at right. the hotel when i was doing the press and i would go downstairs and there would be like 20 25 people in the lobby mm-hmm. who knew that I was there, who just wanted some autographs and it's, they would wait until I would acknowledge them and go over there. They don't just oh, like come and it. stick something in your face. Like one time this was right before it was like the day or two before WrestleMania 23 in Detroit. Okay. I went to um, a, a local mall and I went to a GameStop. I remember walking in there and this mm-hmm. lady comes up to me and she gets right in my face. She goes, you're not going anywhere. Stay right there. What? She walked away, and I was like, "Oh, here, I, 
I could tell that she was going to get her kid. Oh, okay. She wanted her son to have an autograph. And right. I was like, I'm going to give this lady a piece of my mind when she comes back. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I remember seeing her come back. I'm getting, I'm, I'm getting hyped up, ready to go. Yeah. And I see her come back with this really cute five-year-old kid. Oh. And I thought like, Oh, I'm not going to punish the kid because mom's an asshole. Right. But of course. I wanted to say to her like, do you, you know that you could just ask nicely and I would have been way more receptive to doing stuff like that. See, but you know what? I wish you did put her in her place, but in like a good way, because yeah. this shit is taught. Like if, if the kid saw her mom get shit, then the kid knows not to do this when yeah. they become an yeah, adult right. type of thing. You know yeah, what I mean? Right. Cause the one thing, and I hate it because I am part of the fan base, but some of the wrestling fans just don't know where the line is. Like, you know what I mean? It's like how you said, when you go in public, and I guess this goes for every celebrity, but I find it more in the wrestling world where they think that because they pay for the, their ticket, they're allowed to do yep. whatever the fuck they want. And that's not fair to you guys and or the good fans in the audience. Because you know how many shows I've gotten ruined by a guy sitting beside me chanting and yelling nonsense just to be yep. noticed? It's like, fuck yep. off, man. Yeah, like sometimes the, the person in the audience... Is like trying to be the show, right? They're they're, they're trying to dictate oh. how the show goes. Yeah, that's annoying. And <laughs> I, I just don't know how you guys deal. And I, I understand the whole stories again. No pun intended about being assholes to fans because some of these fans do deserve it. And it's like they only catch the end of this of of I guess when you guys tell them off, but they don't record when they're going up to you and why these guys are blowing up on them. You know what I mean? Because there's yeah. always two sides to a story. <laughs> I, I had a funny intro incident that happened down at uh, Universal Studios when I was working for TNA. Okay. I remember being in the ring with um, EC3 and Tyrus at the time. Okay. We were doing some... It was like we had political... We had podiums and we were doing this politic, <laughs> like a debate sure. kind of thing. And this guy kept yelling, Green Bay sucks! Oh Aaron Rodgers sucks! Are you kidding? And... I'd start going again, and he'd, he'd yell it again. He was just obnoxious, and I'm for, forgetting what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. And I just, like, I lost, I completely lost my train of thought, and I just, because it's a tape show, I just said, like, hang on a second. Mm. I knew they could edit it. I was like, hey, man, like, I appreciate you and everything, but, like, right. did you guys, did you guys pay your money to come here and watch this guy? Love it. And they and they jumped all over him. Boo. Right? And that's if you can get the crowd to turn on somebody like that within reason. I mean, I of course, like, I don't want him to attack him or anything. Like I that, know. Start a riot. Go Puerto Rican style. But, throw bags of piss and nails. Yeah. No, they. But they turned on him. Good. And then, they, then he shut up. No, and you <laughs> see, that's a good way of doing it because I find that a lot of people in the audience want to do that. But they know that, okay, either this person's either unstable or he's going to keep going. And you don't want that interaction with someone that negative. So when the the talent calls them out, that's fit. I love when, when these guys do that because then you see them turn all red in him and then they just cower in their seat and then they shut up the whole show, right? Yep. Oh, I heard it. Penn Gillette talk about getting heckled. Right. And um, there's some interesting videos on YouTube of, of comedians handling hecklers. That's just yeah, great. Yeah. Um, but he said one time somebody would just wouldn't shut up and he just stopped for a second and he was like, Hey, <laughs> what's going on here, man? Yeah. He's like, do you, 
do you want to come up here and like do a bit? Do you have any jokes you want to tell or something? Like, <laughs> right? And the guy obviously just he got really embarrassed and, and sort of like calmed down. And he said he diffused the situation rather than escalating it. Like he um, he was able to de-escalate. And I I would hope that in the future, if something like that happens to me, I'll have that sort of self-containment you know? you know what it's so hard because i would love to think that i could act that way and sometimes i have but there's just sometimes if someone catches you on the wrong day doing the wrong thing we're all human you know what i mean and yeah, yeah it's nice to kill someone with kindness or embarrass them but at the same time dropping a few f-bombs and yelling at someone feels good too <laughs> yeah it, it felt a lot better when i was younger though for sure you I, know what I, I, that I is true say, yeah I, I don't know what it is but as i get older i'm just like uh What's the, I always look at what is the end, what is my end goal here? I like that. Do I think that I, I'm going to change anything by yelling at this person? Probably not. So, uh, and then I'm going to leave. I'm going to be more pissed off. He's going to go about his day. He right. doesn't care. It doesn't affect him. It only affects me. So, yeah. See, I, I apply that to, that to driving. Whenever, like, even yeah. though I barely drive still, I, thank God my wife loves to drive. But the, <laughs> The small times. That's another thing we have in common. Okay, perfect. So the small times that I do have to drive, it's just like okay, this is when I could turn it off. Like if someone cuts me off, like it's not worth it. What am I going to do? I'm going to honk at him. He's going to go another few meters and do the exact same thing to someone else. These people don't learn their lessons. They're just again assholes. You know what I mean? So I think not giving them no response is better than you know fueling the fire. In my opinion, it really is. It really is. And then like. Never know. You escalate the situation by, by by saying anything at all. Instead of just like, no, nope, I'm going to keep. I'm going to look straightforward. This doesn't affect me. I'll be out of it in the next ten seconds. I'm just going to ignore it. Exactly. Versus, you see some some situations that escalate to the to the worst. You know, some guy rams somebody off the road because they flipped him off and ends up shooting them. Like you get all these crazy stories. That, it's not worth nah, it. It's not worth it. No, it's not worth it. it. <laughs> no, for sure. But, uh, what, what did you just bring up? That oh, I was going to okay. say like that's another thing we have in common: the driving the thing. Driving. I hate driving. I can't wait for self-driving cars to be ubiquitous. You know, like I, I hate them. I hate it. It's just to me, it's such a waste of time. Like I love, like for some odd reason, when I'm behind a wheel, it always seems like I always get aggravated. It always seems like it takes longer for me to get somewhere. When I'm in the passenger, or when I'm not carrying. It's like, oh, I get there, you know, when I get there, nothing bothers me. Like, it's just, I don't know, man. Driving is so, and especially again, because I'm in a big city of Toronto, and now it's been rated one of the worst traffic, it's, traf, is that a word? Trafficated or congestion? How about that? Most yeah, congested yeah, yeah, sure. cities in the world for traffic, like literally on average, it takes an hour and a half for someone to go from work to home in the city of Toronto nowadays. And it's like, come on, man. Like, oh, I just can't. I can't. Like, I don't know how these people get their licenses. I don't know who allows them on the road, but I don't know. Yeah, yeah. self-driving car. But what the problem with self-driving cars is everyone's going to have to have them for them to work. Because all, all it's going to take is one idiot to not know how to drive and mess up all these fucking uh, electric cars, right? Yeah, right. When, I tell you, when I, when I moved out to New York City, um, I just... I think we had a vehicle there for the first three months. Okay. And you can't drive anywhere. It's just best to take the subway or take a cab. Yeah. Otherwise, everything is just, it takes too long. You can't park. 
That's the other thing. A mile away from wherever That's right. you, you gotta yep. go. You end up walking anyway. So I just we got rid of our vehicle, and it was like one of the most liberating oh, experiences awesome. in my life. Like, and then I moved back to the Twin Cities, and you have to have a vehicle to get anywhere here. You know? Yeah, exactly. Oh man, that's awesome. Well, Ken, thank you once again for coming aboard. Really appreciate it. Uh, I could have gone another hour with you. I'm sure we'll do this again in the future. But if you want to promote anything, plug anything, floor's all yours, my friend. Uh, uh, Thank you. Um, Thanks for having me on, first of all. Um, I uh, Obviously, I'm still running my wrestling school in the Twin Cities. We're located inside Element Boxing Gym in St. Paul, Minnesota. And if you would like more information, please feel free to text me directly at 507-722-2776. That comes right to my phone or my wife's phone, and one of us will get back to you, and we can talk. And, you know, I've, I've, I want to help people. I got into this business, or I got into the business of the, the wrestling school to try to give people opportunities that I didn't have when I was coming up. And um, so there have been people in the past who maybe they don't live in the area, but Hey, they live in, you know, some, some other part of the country. And I've spoken to them at great length and tried to figure out, Hey, where should you go to get proper training? So I'm, I'm cool helping people out, even if it's not to come to the Academy. I figure like, yeah, It'll come back, you know? <laughs> How about the socials? Social media, um, yes. I'm on, uh, my wife and I are on TikTok. It's oh. Anderson Squared, spelled out. Anderson, A-N-D-E-R-S-O-N-S-Q-U-A-R-E-D. Anderson mm-hmm. Squared on TikTok. Um, uh, my Instagram is Mr. Ken Anderson. It's Mr. spelled out, M-I-S-T-E-R, Ken Anderson. My Twitter is Mr. Ken Anderson, but it's spelled Mr. Ken Anderson. So, um, yeah, and I'm on Facebook and all that other stuff. So, nice. And for myself, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter under Finger Styles. You can follow the podcast on Twitter, the podcast app. Email us your thoughts, suggestions, comments, anything you want to get off your chest at the podcast app at gmail.com. Please rewind to the top of the show. Support those fine sponsors because if it helps them out, most definitely helps me out. And most importantly, please rate, subscribe, review on all major platforms. And if this is the first time you're listening and you enjoyed what you've heard, please go back and check out previous episodes featuring wrestlers like Santino Morella, Jeff Jarrett, Joss Alexander, PCO, and Nick Aldis, to name just a few. All right, my friend. One last question before I let you go. I'm I'm always curious about this because every wrestler is different. What's the wrestling move you hate worst to take? Oh, to take? Yeah. Body slams. Really? Yes. Because half half the time when the person sends you over, they over-rotate you, so you end up landing on your tailbone. Instead of sort of like just starting the process by kind of hooking the head and letting you bump on your own. Yeah. So that's honestly, I usually as I'm taking a body slam, I'll go, I fucking hate body slam. (laughs) Boom. um, Another one was, uh, and I say this jokingly a little bit, but Jeff Hardy's swanton that he used to, if you watch his old videos, uh-huh. he used to like roll gently off the person. Right. And uh, somewhere along the, the way he realized, like, because I do the same move. 
That's right. And uh, it it's a lot of wear and tear on your body, so mm. it's just easier if you just like squash it. You know what? I've noticed that it's so true. Now that you brought it up, it's like he just falls right on him and he just bounces off instead of, oh my God, yeah, the small stuff, right? (laughs) Yeah, usually as he's coming in, mother. (laughs) Oh my God, that's awesome. On that note, he's Mr. Anderson. I'm Steve. This is the podcast. Peace.